0: Kia ora koutou. I'm Brent Giblin and you're listening to Faux Heritage Stories, a series of talks presented by historian Lisa Troutman with support from Faux Local Board and Auckland Libraries. Prepare yourself for tales of horse races, lost guns, World War I adventures and more in this exciting series. Today's talk discusses the history of Motamanoa, also known as Pollen Island. We share a light on its varied history, mysterious structure, and its continued importance and protection today. For the island after which the reserve takes its name, Motu means island and Manawa means, among other things, mangrove. Specifically, the mangroves are Avicennia marina australisica, a native species to New Zealand for the past millions of years. This is pollen island, the other island obscured today by a motorway, Motu Te Ko, ko means fish hook. This is Treherne Island. The Rosebank domain on the mainland nearest Motumanawa, Te Ranga Matariki, is around 20 million years old, part of the East Coast Bay's formation of mudstone and sandstone. The rest of the peninsula, part of the Pukitoka formation, dates from 2 to 5 million years ago. In 1990, black peat exposed on the harbour side of Motumanawa Pollen Island was examined and tested and was dated at more than 20,000 years old. In comparison, bores on the island in 1958 found a freshwater peat deposit dated at around 160,000 to 170,000 years old. So part of Motumanawa was formed during the ancient river valley period the black peat made up from decomposed wetland vegetation, possibly existing at the time around the higher ground of Te Ranga Matariki. Around 14,000 to 11,000 years ago, towards the end of the last ice age, the Waitamata River Valley flooded and became the harbour we know today. Above the peat layer in the 1958 bore was evidence of an old salt marsh dated from 800 to 2300 years ago, submerged by sea level change, eroded, then exposed three to four hundred years ago again, allowing the present salt marsh to form. Between the island and the mainland, the sheltered swampy area became mudbanks. Ultimately, these will disappear as the Motomanawa shell and sand bank drifts towards the mainland and other sandbanks form out in the harbour to replace the island when it disappears. According to Pawa, their tradition tells them that the mud banks between the island and the mainland have been used as a burial ground by them and other mana whenua to ensure preservation of the bodies. During the building of the motorway in the 1950s, there were some remains disturbed during construction. There are no rem- remnants of permanent settlement in the area by Pawa Te Kārao Mākī. Te Waiahua, or by Ngāti Whātua, but there are remembered traditions linking it with the greater surrounding area used in general food gathering and fishing. It is here that Avondale's earliest historically-dated event occurred, the battle at Te Ranga Matariki between Ngāoho, Te Tao, and Ngāti Pāwa in 1792. Almost as an afterthought, in a way, Motu Te Kou was surveyed rather late by Henry Douglas Morgan Hazard, in July 1889. The Hazard family were granted title to Mototeiko, Treherne Island in April 1892. In March 1906, the Hazard sold Treherne Island to Thomas Cranwall. He died the following year. John Smith, an Avondale farmer, obtained title to the island in 1907 and probably leased shell and sand gathering operations to contractors. In August 1924, he transferred title to George Wymer and John James Bardwell. These two defaulted on their mortgage from Smith, so the island was sold to Andrew Walter Titter in 1927. Ernest Tasker obtained title to Treherne Island in December that year. He was a local farmer on Rosebank who, as a side enterprise, already set up a shell-burning operation near Pollen Island and, as will be seen, came into that part of the story in the 1930s. In June 1928, however, he was briefly involved with the Dale Shell Lime and Sand Company and transferred Trehearne Island to their entity. The company transferred the island back to Tasker the following year. In July 1930, Tasker advertised, Shell Lime, burnt, five pound per tonne, unslaked, one pound ten shilling per tonne, Shell Sand, seven pence per yard, foul grit, one shilling sixpence sugar bag. Treherne Island was transferred to Charles Whitfield Ralph in 1947 and was taken by the Crown for Motorway Works in 1954. Today, it lies beneath the motorway, barely showing at either side. Two years after the deed 208 land agreement between the Crown and Ngāti Fatua Ōrake in 1841, the Rosebank Peninsula was surveyed in 1843. The plan produced is today badly damaged by time and wear, so if mota Manua had been included on it in some form, it is not visible on the surviving document. It may not have even been drawn onto the plan at all. It wasn't allocated an allotment number at that point, nor included in the subsequent crown sales, but it may have been included as just part of allotment one. The reserves set aside as not-for-sale crown land that would become the future Rosebank domain. In the survey carried out by the crew of HMS Pandora in 1854, Motumanawa was not identified as a separate feature then either. Captain Drury's survey plan instead noted extensive mangroves and mudflats around the tip of Rosebank Peninsula and at the mouth of the Well River. The earliest map of the island dates from November 1857. On this plan a landing place in a small structure on the mainland opposite Multomanoa and near today's on and off ramps at the end of Rosebank Road was noted. This may have been used by Kelly during his ownership of that land from the end of eighteen fifty-four. Dr. Daniel Pollan comes into the picture from the tenth of march eighteen fifty eight, the date of his crown grant for allotment ninety three, parish of Titirangi, to be known from that point as Pollens Island. He had previously purchased John Kelly's adjoining land, allotments 2, 3 and 4, on the peninsula in March 1855. This was during a period when the Provincial Council was selling reserve land for capital. The old site of Rangi Matariki, however, was still kept as crown land, later an Education Endowment Reserve. This, of course, didn't mean Kelly and a bit later Pollen didn't use that bit for grazing their stock as well nothing has been found indicating that pollen used the island for any purpose one of his sons was born on the rosebank property in 1856 but by 1860 the pollen family lived at eden crescent he came to reside more or less permanently at his rosebank sheep farm only from the mid-1870s until his death in 1896. it isn't known whether there was any relationship between the island and pollen's brickworks on the other side of the peninsula but Daniel Pollen had a large flock of sheep. In 1879, he had 123 sheep, and some may have grazed on his island. There is that rather odd landing on the mainland noted in the early survey, close to the island. Plus, in 1995, a sheep was a cause for concern when it was spotted on the island, having a great old time chewing the scenery. In February 1901, Pollen's Island was advertised for sale by the trustees of his estate. 71 acres, all fenced by water, suitable for fruit and poultry, bounded by Wau River and being lot 93 of Parish of Titirangi. That use of the word fenced rather than bounded could aid the stock use speculation. I'll leave it at that. For Maute and Maute Te lime burning was really a 20th century business. The first record found of shell gathering in the immediate area comes from August 1902, when the Secretary of the Avondale Jockey Club asked the Auckland Harbour Board for permission to take 50 sacks worth from around Pollens Point, the Rosebank Domain. Permission was granted. In April 1905, a Mr. Patterson living on Pollens property, Pollen Point, offered to supply shells to the Avondale Road Board at five and three per yard for spreading on Muscoria footpaths. Burning shells to produce lime along the foreshore on the Waitamata Harbour goes back at least to the 1860s. It was then used primarily as a fertilizer, but within a few years of Pollen's purchase of his island, shell burnt lime was being superseded by limestone quarried from the Waikato region as well as from Northland. One site in 1865 though, close to Rosebank at Point Chevalier, on the western shore of that other peninsula was advertised as admirably adapted for lime burning as well as brick making or other manufacturing purposes lime burning was also started by a john Macleod at freeman's bay in 1876 but he was probably burning shells imported from other parts of the north island there was another commodity the two islands would have been used for and that was sand but as with the shells if either was gathered commercially before the 20th century, it was probably small scale and on limited term lease basis. Neither was readily and easily available in huge quantities, but both did replenish with the tidal action of the harbour. While the island was still owned by Pollens estate, a Mr Potterall offered to supply shell to the Avondale Road Board at the Wow Bridge landing beside Great North Road in 1915, possibly taking supplies from the island. From around 1917 to 1918, Thomas Edwin Rowe, a carter who lived on Leslie Avenue, now Racecourse Parade, apparently had use of the island too. Mrs Vera Crawford later recalled, Down Leslie Avenue lived a man who had a horse and cart, and later an old truck, which he would drive down to Pollen Island to collect shells, then burn them and sell the remains for lime. He was called Shellback Rowe by the locals, and no one knew where he burnt the shells. The Crown decided to cancel the education reserve at the end of Rosebank, Rangi Matariki and in 1907 the Avondale Road Board became the administrators of the site, which became known as the Titirangi Domain, later renamed Rosebank Domain. The proximity of Pollens island intrigued the road board from time to time, but it was only in June 1914 that the beneficiaries of Daniel Pollens' estate expressed any willingness to sell the island and asked the road board to submit an offer. This, though, was deferred by the Board until August 1915, when the road board clerk was instructed to write to the public trustee repurchasing Pollens Island and making an offer themselves. This offer was declined. A bit of a blow to the road board, as they'd already been in touch with the Crown for a grant to build a bridge and approaches linking the mainland with the island in expectation of their ownership. Then the road board tried another tack and demanded unpaid rates on the island. In December 1916, the public trustee claimed that Pollen's Island was not even in the Avondale Road Board District and therefore not liable for rates. The board's clerk was instructed to reply that it had always been included and was also indeed liable for rates, so kindly pay up. They kept up this dispute for months. Finally, in August 1918, the public trustee offered to sell the island to the road board for the sum of £410 in cash. The Board resolved to offer £100 instead. This was accepted. Now the Road Board could proceed with their bridge idea. £100 was voted in Parliamentary Estimates for the bridge and Christopher J. Parr, MP, advised the Avondale Road Board in January 1919 to submit their plans to the Marine Department. The estimate was raised to £300 in the 1919-1920 financial year on a pound-for-pound basis. What was this bridge? It was for a tramway linking the island with the depot at the domain, whereby small carts were pushed out to the harbour edge of the sandbank, filled with shell and or sand, and then trundled back. The tram line terminated on the northwestern shore of the island at a curved inlet lined with shell, probably the most accessible spot. This tramway was finished by February 1920, just in time for some blighter to steal a large quantity of the roadboard shell. The road board advertised for tenders to supply 500 cubic yards of shell from the island hauled over the board's tram to the mainland. F. Lowe was awarded the contract at two and one per yard. The board used it for footpaths but they also supplied members of the public for five shilling per cubic yard. There were issues with the tramway though. The engineer at the Public Works Department claimed that the work on the Pollen Island Bridge should not have been put into hand until the plans had been approved. It was apparently too low. In May 1920, the PWD asked the road board to provide an estimate for raising the tram line, 100 pound. In 1922, tenders were called for supply of 1,000 yards of shell from the island. Alternatively, delivered at one, railhead, the domain at the the mainland, or two, landing at Whale Bridge, conveyance by Scow. Three tenders were received, but none accepted. The Borough Council decided to extend the application period. Finally in July, W, possibly William, Dyson was awarded the contract for supply of shell to Whale Landing, while Samuel Clifford Gott and George Richard Desmond got a contract for delivery to the mainland using the tram. Gott and Desmond complained about the bad state of trucks and rails. £25 was then spent by the Avondale Borough Council for their repair. George Desmond was a market gardener living in Riversdale Road, and Samuel Gott was the same at Wicklow, now Wairau Avenue. These two were later on the founding of the committee for the Auckland Tomato and Stone Fruit Growers Association in 1927. Shell was still taken by contractors on agreement with the Avondale Borough Council in that council's last weeks, although in June 1927, applications from two separate parties to the Borough Council for permission to take Shell from Poland Island at royalty of a shilling per yard, were refused. Well after amalgamation, with the Auckland City Council doing very little with their new acquisition, Ernest Tasker wrote to them in August 1931, asking to be able to remove large shells from Pollen Island on a royalty basis, but not small shell or sand. Oddly though, the rest of the correspondence on the file from Council refers to sand, not shell, and Tasker's application to take sand from the island was accepted, this may have been when the concrete feature appeared on the island. V.E. Beaumont applied to the council in 1932, asking to lease or purchase the shell reefs of the island, as he and his brother were thinking of starting a lime works there. The council replied that Tasker had already been granted permission to remove shell and sand from the reserve on a royalty basis. By 1941, the island's formal shell gathering days appeared to have been over. A rifle range was set up on Rosebank Domain in August 1941, described as the direction of fire is from the embankment, about 150 yards inside the reserve, to somewhat west of Kauri Point and over Pollen Island. All persons are therefore warned to keep clear of this area. Early in the piece it was proposed at an Avondale Borough Council meeting in November 1923 that Pollen Island be offered to the government as a site for Auckland's aerodrome, while reserving the Borough Council's right to continue to take shells from the shore if that happened. It didn't. There was nothing further until canal promoter David Bruce Russell got into the Act in July 1929, when he proposed his plan to reclaim land around Pollen Island, using unemployed workers for, for the island to then become an aerodrome. At that point, Since the September 1927 amalgamation, and as he had said, little has been done with regard to the City Council accessing the island for Shell, why not use it for an aerodrome? This despite the fact that no part of the island is more than four feet above high water mark and a large portion is covered at spring tide. Access was via the disused tramway. By March 1930, Pollen Island was on the shortlist to propose sites for Auckland's aerodrome along with, Pollen, with Point England. The Marine Department had an interest in the Pollen Island proposal as control of certain mudflats in the vicinity was under their administration. Access now from the mainland was dry shod from the mainland at low tide, a gap of about a quarter of a mile to the mainland at Rosebank Domain. Russell addressed a meeting of the Auckland Development Association on November, in November 1930, Laying out the details of his proposed scheme for the island, including erection of a four foot stop bank to enclose 152 to 400 acres and the construction of a short piece of road from the end of Rosebank Road to the island. Total estimate came to under £20,000. The meeting agreed to investigate the proposal fully. Auckland City Council agreed in August 1931 to investigate Russell's proposal as well with the Works Committee. It was certainly a grand proposal. The Pollen Island Scheme, which has been prepared by Mr Russell and Mr F E Powell, Civil Engineer, takes in the Avondale Reserve of 26 acres, which is to be laid out as a recreation ground with provision for football, cricket, bowls, lawn tennis and croquet. A grandstand is also provided for. From the entrance gates, a road will traverse the area following the course of the stream that separates the island from the mainland and linking up with the proposed roadway from Pollens Point to Te Atatu. The new road will connect with Rosebank Road and will bring northern towns like Helensville and Dargaville seven miles nearer Auckland when bridges and road connections are completed. It is claimed that the Pollens Island scheme will give employment for 500 men and the Whale Stop Bank for a further 500 men. When the airport scheme is considered by the Works Committee next week, representatives will present from the Auckland and Avondale Development Associations. The Waitematā County Council has already been asked to express their opinion on the suitability of the stop bank between Pollens Point and Te Atatū. A month later, the Waitematā County Council came out in favour of the proposal. But a month after that, cold water was poured all over Russell's grand plan. City Council Engineer James Tyler reported back unfavourably regarding the airport idea to the Council. He doubted that there was a sufficiently firm surface for an aerodrome under all weather conditions. Also, he believed that statements to the effect that within 12 months of the completion of the embankment and with no further treatment of the surface, the area at Pollen Island would be a grass sward were decidedly optimistic. The site consisted of a bank of sea mutt of about 71 acres, lying about 18 chains from the mainland. The island, about one third of which rose two feet above ordinary high water on the east to six inches above on the west side, was covered with a mixed growth of rushes. The area between it and the mainland, about 99 acres, was covered at high tide from 18 inches to just a wash and was overgrown with mangroves. The third area of 50 acres lying north of the reserve was a mudflat awash at ordinary high tide. The cost of road into the area was estimated at £7,000. The estimated cost of other work to make a permanent surface was £15,000. The estimated amount of unemployed labour was £8,000, leaving £14,000 to be borne by way of materials, cartage and skilled and semi-skilled labour. Mr Tyler referred to the proposal to form playing fields on the Recreation Reserve but stated that he had not prepared plans for its development owing to the remoteness of the area, lack of access and its apparent unsuitability at the present time. Undaunted, Russell and the Avondale Development Association tied in the opening of the tram service to Avondale in February 1932 with a tour by bus for residents of the district between the tram terminus and Pollen Island and they appealed directly to the mayor. Nevertheless, the city council decided in April 1932 to shelve the idea indefinitely. Russell, though, was a never-say-never sort of bloke. He also had a lot of his own personal finances reliant on the success of his canal proposal, intimately linked now with Pollen Island and the aerodrome idea. He returned to his proposal in September 1933 in a valiant attempt to rescue it from oblivion, suggesting to the Minister of Employment and the Unemployment Board that the harbour around Pollen Island should be reclaimed in order to subdivide the land into farmlets. The Auckland Harbour Board, when asked for their opinion by the Unemployment Board, reported that the proposed reclamation wouldn't really interfere with navigation or affect the tidal scour of navigation channels. The City Council, though, still said no. They felt that there were other schemes which would be of greater value to the community. And that was that for the idea of Motumanawa becoming an airport. In November 1949, the Auckland Harbour Board announced their intention to purchase land on Rosebank Peninsula, including both Pollen and Traherne Islands, for an upper harbour port development. The island and surrounding planned 700-acre reclamation was to be the site of future heavy industry and the beginning of the end of the market gardens and orchards on the peninsula. The city valuer reported describing Pollen Island: the area is separated from the mainland by a very wide expanse of mangrove-covered mudflat and a narrow tidal channel. A large portion of the area appears to be subject to tidal influences. The northern boundary on the harbour side contains shell deposits, which, being below high water mark, it is understood are the property of the marine department. On the highest portion of the land, some stunted vegetation has become established. I believe the whole area is mainly composed of sand. The island possesses a nominal value only. In the event of council having to dispose of it, I consider a fair estimate for sale purposes would be £5 per acre or £355 for the whole. The valuer doubted the island was even within the city boundaries. Fast forward to July 1951 and the Auckland Harbour Board valued Pollen Island at £100.00. This was probably what they offered to the City Council, which rejected it. In 1952, proclamations were added to land titles on the northern side of Rosebank for a future rail link between Avondale and the proposed new port anyway. In 1953, the Harbour Board raised their offer for Pollen Island to £300. Again, nothing happened, but now the motorway link between Point Chevalier and Te Aratu was being planned and constructed. Finally, in November 1957, the City Council agreed to sell Pollen Island to the Harbour Board for £300. The deal was struck, provided the Harbour Board handed over land just north of Miola Road at Western Springs. It took another seven years though for the Harbour Board to obtain formal title over the island. There was a very brief example of déjà vu in October 1969 when the Waitematā Aero Club applied to the Harbour Board to use Pollen Island as an aerodrome. Probably few at the time remembered all the D.B. Russell promises of nearly 40 years earlier. This time there was no mucking about. The proposal was rejected immediately by the Harbour Board because it could hamper and stifle Harbour Board proposals in the area. This wasn't to say that they were about to go on an imminent construction and reclamation spree out of the tip of Rosebank. They announced that they were waiting for suitable proposals to arise to proceed with their own development of the site. They were still waiting when in July 1974, Pat Eyre, Waitematā delegate to the Harbour Board, pushed for Pollen Island to be developed as a container port area. Nope, still no suitable proposals in sight. Michael Shanahan, West Auckland rep on the Harbour Board, said in May 1984 that prospects of Pollen Island, being part of a major port, were still in the wind, but could be about 30 years away. The board's general manager, Bob Lorimer, felt that a port development at Pollen Island was of national significance. But still, nothing happened. Transfer of the island's title to Ports of Auckland Limited happened in December 1988 for $383,000, as part of the $250 million purchase of Auckland Harbour Board land assets. The Auckland Regional Authority held 80% shares in the new company and Waikato Regional Council 20%. The 1970s in Avondale saw the rise of concerned residents' action groups, and especially in terms of the environment. In 1973, the Avondale Waterview Residents and Ratepayers Association was incorporated by April 1980, they were pushing for Pollen Island to be set aside as a nature reserve. Leading light of the association, their secretary, Kurt Bremer, had already expressed his concerns over the reclamation proposals still being looked at by both Auckland City Council and the Harbour Board, including the idea to effectively turn the area from Herons Park's foreshore to Honan Place into a rubbish tip. Bremer continued to push for Pollen Island to be a nature reserve through to the late 1980s. Then, just as shipping interests approached Ports of Auckland Limited, the new owners of the island in January 1989 about developing a wharf there after all this time, it came out that a rare moth had been found, a Bactra species called the Pollen Island Moth. Actually, it was found back in 1992 by two entomologists, Peter Madison and John Dugdale. It has not been seen on the island since then, but earlier this century, two more examples were sighted at the Monaco Harbour. The scarcity of sightings, and therefore lack of much information about it, means it is only known by the tag Pollen Island to differentiate it from others of the species. Back in October 1920, a miller named Mr John asked the Avondor Road Board for permission to cut rushes on Pollen Island. This was granted at a rate of one penny per 9-inch diameter bundle. In the middle of the century, the island was described as covered in rushes. What does apparently grow on the island today is the jointed wire rush, or oi'oi, which may have served as food for the moth, but this also remains uncertain. The moth may or may not still be on the island, no one knows for sure, but it certainly helped to kick the campaign to have the island saved as a marine reserve into high gear in the 1980s. By 1989, the New Zealand dotterel and fern bird had been added as species of note on the island. In August that year, the Royal Forest and Bird Protection Society joined the fray. By August 1991, the Auckland Regional Council said they favoured the idea of a marine reserve, but were hesitant as they faced claims for compensation from ports of Auckland if they agreed to the proposal. In April 1992, an ARC delegation was hoping to meet with ports of Auckland to reach an agreement on an 800 hectare marine reserve around the island. An ARC Coastal Resources report identified that the Harbour Bridge would hinder the development of a container port at the site anyway, so why not just let it go? Ports of Auckland, however, stuck to their guns, stating that bulk shipping could still pass under the bridge for years to come. Plus, they had put considerable financial investment into acquiring the island and surrounds. The pressure and calls for the Marine Reserve continued, though, And in February 1993, Ports of Auckland agreed to lease pollen island to forest and bird at $10 per year for 10 years. In July 1995, the Minister of Conservation announced that this was the only marine reserve in New Zealand with a motorway running through its centre. Finally, in November 2005, Maute was transferred to the Crown for a scientific reserve. And the Maute Pollen Island Scientific Reserve was gazetted in September 2006. The only other change in status was that in November, 19, November 2014, as Crown land, the island was now, is now certified under Section 148 of the Nāmāna, Mana Whanua o Tāmaki Makaurau Collective Redress Act 2014 as RFR, or Right of First Refusal Land under the Act. But it continues to be part of the protected marine reserve today, just waiting for that elusive bactra moth to be spotted or to return. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this talk from Faux Heritage Stories. Stay tuned to hear the next episode. If you want to hear other author talks, concerts and in-depth heritage commentaries, head to the Auckland Library's website to subscribe. Matewa